You're listening to one of the sermons preached from Shalom Baptist Chapel, recorded at one of our worship services. Let me guess, some of you are having a tough time. You are feeling quite miserable because of your neighbor. You are having a difficult time at work, in school, or at home because of your neighbor. That's right, your neighbor. Because of how they treat you at workplace, in school, or anywhere else. And you might be thinking like, if only my neighbor isn't around, then life could be much more livable. And for some of you, your neighbor is your boss at workplace, or a colleague, or your form teacher in school, or your classmates. For others, your neighbor is the family that lives next door to you, or anyone that you come across on the streets, on the buses, MRTs, right? And, uh, well, your life can become quite miserable because of them, because of how your neighbors treat you. Last year, I went down to the embassy for my visa application appointment. And prior to that appointment, I have filled in the form, submitted all the documents that are required and even paid uh, for the visa fee. After queuing for a couple of hours, I went to the counter at the embassy, uh, the officer, and uh, she just took a few seconds to look at my documents and then handed back my passport with a letter. And then she said, I'm sorry, sir, we cannot approve your visa. Immediately, I asked me, I know why. She replied, read the letter. And I said, yes, I did. And that's why I'm asking because I fulfilled all the requirements, didn't I? Immediately, she gave me a look and said, interview is over. And then she shut the counter door and walked off from her chair. <laughs> that's right. For a few seconds, I was dumbfounded. And in my mind, I was thinking, what just happened? Well, I went away from the embassy very disappointed because despite all my supporting documents and a couple of hundred dollars visa fee that I paid, my visa was rejected without any helpful explanation. But then, but then I realized something else. I realized that I was even more disappointed and felt quite miserable at how I was treated by my neighbor. <laughs> That's right, my neighbor in this case, the embassy officer. And you know what, to be very honest, inside of me, I was saying to myself, I will never ever apply visa to go to this country because I felt terribly miserable because of this neighbor at the embassy. And that's what this neighbor did to me. But the contrary is true as well, isn't it? I mean, some of you, your life is fantastic because of your neighbor. You, you feel so blessed and joyful at workplace or in school or at home because of the neighbors around you, how they treat you. I mean, they are so nice to you, right? They are considerate, they are sensitive, they're respectful. In other words, our lives could be much better 
If everywhere we go, we are surrounded by good neighbors, isn't it? I mean, for example, imagine, imagine your life at your workplace where your boss or your colleagues are good neighbors to you. Imagine your life in school where your teachers or your classmates are all good neighbors to you. And imagine like even your life at home where the people that live around your housing estate are all good neighbors to you and to your family. Imagine your life even out there in the streets when you drive out there on, on the road and, or you take buses and MRTs where your fellow commuters are good neighbors to you. I mean, imagine. Imagine if, if everyone is a good neighbor to everyone. If everyone is a good neighbor to everyone. Don't you think that our city will change? Don't you think that our social atmosphere will become much more better and much more desirable? I believe. I believe it will ignite in every soul and in every heart a little glimpse of hope and joy to live by each day. And especially in times such as this with the pandemic, right? Where many lives are affected, where many lives have become even more difficult than it already is. But well, some of you might think that to imagine everyone being a good neighbor to everyone is just being too idealistic. It's just a waste of time to think, to imagine that kind of thing. And you know what? You are right. But let's be honest at the same time. <laughs> it might be too idealistic to think that, but isn't that what we wished and what we desire for? I mean, for example, haven't you wished or even said something like this before? I wished he was a bit more considerate. Hmm? I wish, I mean, that's not the way to, to speak to people. I mean, that's so disrespectful. He could have been a bit more patient and understanding. That's not right. What is he thinking? You said that, didn't you? You see, it might be too idealistic to imagine everyone being a good neighbor to everyone, but that's what you wished and that's what I wished and desire for. And by the way, I'm not talking about making everyone, all right? I'm not talking about us trying to make everyone to be a good neighbor to everyone. Why? Because you can't. I'm talking about what you can instead. I'm talking about what I can. That's right. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about us to begin to seriously consider being that good neighbor to the people around us. And maybe, maybe, Maybe in the process of being a good neighbor to the people around you, it might influence and inspire them to be good neighbors to others likewise. You know Mahatma Gandhi, the freedom fighter who led, the, who led India to her independence, said this, Be the change. Be the change you want to see in the world. I mean, don't just talk about the change that is needed in the world. Be that change that you want to see in the world. And likewise, let's not just talk about what we wish. Let's not just talk about the change that we want to see in our neighbors. Rather, let us be that change. Let us be that neighbor, right? That you and I want to see in our neighbors. Be that neighbor. Be the neighbor you want to see in your neighbor. Because change begins here. 
Change doesn't begin out there with my neighbors. It begins with me. It begins with you. Change begins with us. So, today and next week, I want to talk to you about how you and I, how, how it is possible that you and I can be a good neighbor to the people, to all the people around us. And I'm not, I'm not talking about just being a good neighbor for the sake of being good, but really good neighbor with all honesty and without any ulterior motives. <laughs> Is that even possible? You might think and you might ask. Well, just hang in there and listen to the idea that I'm about to share with you, all right? And the good news is this, it's not my idea, thank God, right? It is someone, someone else, and I would say that you and I should, should pay attention to what he says. And um, the other thing is that uh, it's not a new idea, right? In fact, it is so old that some of you might say that it's a cliche. It's, it's, it's now a cliche. But the truth is this. We are yet to experience the full extent, the full extent of the power of this idea. And this idea is, comes from none other than Jesus Christ himself. And this is what he said. Love your neighbor. <laughs> That's right. Love your neighbor. I told you it's not a new idea. You have probably heard this for thousands and thousands of times, right? Especially if you grew up as a Christian. But listen, I can bet and say this to you, that for many of us, this idea of love your neighbor has been just stuck in the pages of the scriptures and never really and fully made it into our hearts and translated in the way we live with the people in our community. And no wonder, no wonder some of us are so annoyed by some people around us, right? No wonder some of us find no meaning and purpose with the things that we do with the people around us because we just can't stand some people. They tend to rob the joy out of our lives. And then we wander further thinking that being a Christian does not make any difference for me. They say it should, but it doesn't. It's not working for me. And we wonder what happened. We wonder what did I miss. Well, one of the things we might have missed is not allowing the idea of Jesus to love our neighbors to come out of the pages of the scriptures and let it dive deep into the recesses of our hearts. And just as the heart pumps blood into the different parts of our body, likewise, our heart that is shaped by this idea of loving your neighbor can pump out, will pump out life into the different aspects of our lives with the people around us. Now, if this doesn't take place, if this doesn't take place, then listen, not only your life, but the lives of people around you, your neighbor, your neighbors can become quite unpleasant joyless and even meaningless. Meaningless to, to live around and work together with your neighbors on a day-to-day -day basis until you, what, retire 
and expire. So, so what will it require of you and me to be able to truly love our neighbors? Because let's be honest, right? Isn't it, isn't it so much easier and even more natural to hate and dislike your neighbor, especially when they are rude and nasty to you? Let me ask you, who are the neighbors in your life right now that you find it difficult to love, that you find it even impossible to love? It's like, love my neighbor, love him, love her? No way, right? No way. But what if I tell you? Now, what if I tell you? What if I tell you that no matter how difficult or impossible it may seem for you to love your neighbor, you can. You can overcome that barrier. You can overcome that and be able to, to truly, out of a genuine heart, love your neighbor. Will you be interested to find out how? Of course, you will not be able to do that overnight. Please, <laughs> we got to be realistic at the same time. It will take some time. But as long as you embrace the ideas seriously that, that I'm about to share today and next week, you will eventually overcome the resistance and have the power and the grace to love your neighbors no matter what. So, let me now share with you. Let me now share with you the first idea today that you need to embrace if you are serious and if you really want to love the neighbors around you, irrespective of who they are and how unlovable they might be. Here's the first idea, and that is this. It will depend on how you view and value your neighbor. That's right. Let me repeat that again. It will depend on how you view and value your neighbor. Because how you view and value your neighbors will significantly influence your love for your neighbors. Let me ask you again, who are the neighbors you find it difficult or impossible to love? Who? Anyone comes to your mind? Here's my next question. Why? Why is that the case? Why is it difficult for you to love them? Why? Well, you may say, oh, you don't know my neighbor. <laughs> you don't know how they treated me and others around me. You, 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 just, you just have no idea how bad and how nasty and how mean my neighbor is. I mean, you don't know how inconsiderate. Wait, what? Love my neighbors? Like, give me a break. You don't know my neighbor. He's known for bad-mouthing and backstabbing people after people after people. And the list goes on. And you see, all these may be true. And that's the point. That's precisely the point. Because if that's the only way you view and value your neighbor for who he is, or what nasty things he has done, then of course, of course, of course, you cannot possibly see the command of Jesus to love your neighbor off the pages of the scriptures into your communities. Never. Never. And perhaps that's the reason why we don't see love your neighbors in our communities, at our workplace, in schools, on the streets, on the buses and MRTs. But what if? 
what if we change the way we view and value our neighbors? What if? In fact, we have to change. We have to change if we want to see this idea of Jesus to love our neighbors in our communities, across our communities. And so for that, let me share with you, there is a verse in the New Testament that is so simple yet so powerful, especially as it relates to how we view and value our neighbors. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if we take this verse and its implications seriously, then I can assure you that we will see the reality and the power of Jesus' command to love our neighbors coming off the pages of the scriptures right into our hearts and then to our communities. And we find that, we find that verse in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And this is what the Apostle John said. He died in our place to take away our sins. Jesus died in our place to take away our sins. So, the Apostle John is reminding in this verse, is reminding the Christians that Jesus died in their place to forgive and to take away their sins. And Apostle John said this in the context of Christians who were struggling with their sins. He was encouraging them no matter what sin they struggled with that they can always turn to Jesus because He is the only one that died in their place to forgive and to take away all their sins. And then, and then, the teaching moment comes in what He says next. And this is what John says next. And not only for our sins. <laughs> Wait, so Jesus died to take away our sins but not only our sins. In other words, John is saying that Jesus didn't die just for the sins of those people who believe in Him. Then the question is, who else did Jesus die for, right? And that's what John tells us next. He died for the sins of all people, but the sins of all people. Many translations says, for the whole world, but I like the NCV version that says the sins, but the sins of all people, because that's what John meant. That's what Jesus died for. So do you know what this means? I tell you this is so powerful because this means that when Jesus died, right, when Jesus died for your sins, He died for the sins of your neighbors as well. Even those neighbors with whom you find it difficult or even impossible to love because of who they are and because of what they have done to you. Let me put it in another way. You see, Jesus died for the sins of all people in the world, right? Now this means that everybody is somebody. That everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. Everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. That's what it means. You see, everybody is somebody that Jesus loved. 
to the point of death. The love that Jesus lavished for you, please remember this, the love that Jesus lavished for you is the same love that He lavished for your neighbors as well. Because everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. Everybody means everybody. And this includes all your neighbors. And I must say this one thing, so that you don't misunderstand me, and that is this. I'm not implying that therefore we just ignore or even condone some of the wrongdoings or the evils of your neighbors. No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. But well, that's another topic that we can talk about another time. I, I found it quite interesting. I don't know about you, but I found it quite interesting on how, you know, some people put a value or worth on something. What do I mean? For example, in one of the auctions that took place in 1996, a fake pearl necklace, a fake pearl necklace, you know, was sold for 211,500 US dollars. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous, right? 211,500 US dollars for a fake pearl necklace. But this is where I was reminded of something about value or worth. And that is this, that value is what someone is willing to pay for, right? Value is what someone is willing to pay. An old, worn out, and discarded fake pearl necklace that only cost about $60 when it was new, right? When it was new, became an item that is now worth what? 211,500 US dollars. That's close to almost 300,000 Sing dollars. In just an instance, how did it become that way? How did, it, how did, how did that happen? And the, the answer is very simple. It's obvious, right? Because someone, some, someone was willing and actually paid for it. Now, just imagine with me. Suppose the owner comes and gives this necklace to you free of charge, all right? It's just like a gift, you know? He tells you that, you know, this is just an old, worn out, a fake pearl necklace. And he actually wanted to discard it, but he thought of just passing it to you, just in case you'd like to just keep it, you know? And of course, you might not ex even accept it right, but let's just say that you accept it and you took it, all right? and you have no idea how much it costs. Actually, you wouldn't be bothered by that. After all, it's just, it's just a what? 
a fake pearl necklace, right? An old one, right? And some more. So, but after, but after, but after a couple of, um, say after a couple of months, this same owner calls you and he tells you that he forgot to tell you that actually the neck, the necklace that he gave to you cost about almost 300,000 sing dollar. My question is this, will that, will that make any difference in how you treat that old worn out fake pearl necklace? I believe the answer is quite obvious, isn't it? I might probably drop that phone and start searching for the necklace and hopefully I find it. And when I find it, I will definitely find ways to clean it up very carefully. I will be like, oh no, oh my precious, right? And, and make sure that I keep it in a safe place where my son and my daughter will not reach out and they think that it's just some old stuff and they can just play with it, you know? I mean, the way I now treat this necklace will be totally different and much better, isn't it? But why? Because of the value of this necklace has changed. Because of what it is worth. Once you know this necklace is worth, once you know this necklace is worth that much, it's just going to change the way you treat it. And that's the point. That's the point because the value, the worth, or the price tag of your neighbor is priceless. We must remember. We must remember what 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 said. That Jesus died for the sins of all people. We must remember that Jesus valued our neighbors with his own life to the point of death on the cross. You and I are in no way more valuable or precious than our neighbors to Jesus. And I must emphasize this. And I must emphasize this again, especially to my fellow Jesus followers. And that is this. Just because we are Christians does not in whatsoever mean we are more valuable to God than our neighbors who are not Christians. That is totally ridiculous. If you have this false understanding, you will never ever be able to love your neighbors, especially those who hold different convictions about life and faith. And I'm sorry to say this, but that is not the Christianity Jesus taught. Well, you may call yourself a Christian, but definitely not according to Jesus. So, if you really, really want to see this idea of Jesus, love your neighbor, not just as a beautiful inscription in the pages of the scriptures, but as a way of life in your community, in my community, in your workplace, in my workplace, in your schools, on the streets, on the buses, MRTs, in your neighborhood. Then my dear friends, you have to start 
to view and value your neighbors. And that is basically anyone and everyone you come across. You have to begin to view and value your neighbors as somebody for whom Jesus died. View and value them as somebody who is as valuable and precious as you are to God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they believe, what they don't believe, what they did, what they didn't do, what, what they said or what they didn't. It doesn't matter. They are of no less value than anybody else because everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. Now, question is, is it guaranteed that we will begin to love our neighbors if we view and value everybody as somebody for whom Jesus died? Well, if you are really serious about this question, then here's my challenge to you. From today onwards, why don't you start viewing and valuing everybody as somebody for whom Jesus died? That everybody is as valuable as you to God. And if you do that long enough, I can assure you, you will get your answer. But wait, is that it? We just view and value everybody as somebody for whom Jesus died. That's it. No practical actions required on our part. Well, you are right. Viewing and valuing everybody as somebody for whom Jesus died is just the first step to loving our neighbors. There are some practical challenges and barriers that we need to address and overcome. And for that, make sure you tune in next week for our part two of this series called Love Your Neighbor. But in the meantime, this week, go out, go and try out the truth that we learned today. Go out and start viewing and valuing everybody that you come across as somebody for whom Jesus died. Especially, especially, may I say, those neighbors that you have difficulty loving them. I mean, who are they? Who are they? Go and, and practice the truth on them, really. Try out. Think of them, look at them, and view them as valuable as you are to Jesus. That they are of no less value than you than me to God. So, practice this week. Practice the truth this week and I pray as you practice that the Holy Spirit will help you and give you a good experience. And I'll see you back again right here next week. God bless you. Amen.